folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back for part two of the uh, defensive discussion against the Cardinals. Joining me again is Cordell Woodland. Talk about a lot of the individual players in the, in this half of the show. Talk MVPs, dip into the mailbag a little bit. But Cordell, great to have you back after a great first segment. For sure, Ken. Appreciate you having me. All right. If you didn't listen to that first segment, why haven't you downloaded it? Come on, give me a good reason. And then go back and download it anyway, because it's a great show with Cordell and, and uh, all kinds of very uh, not only insightful commentary, but uh, really use leveraging the ability that he's an insider. He's there at the castle. He's asking questions during the interviews. If you listen to those uh, interviews, you'll you'll hear a lot of Cordell's voice because uh, he's very uh, a, a frequent uh, uh, querier and uh, 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 maybe maybe. Uh, Talk through that for a little bit, Cordell, in, in terms of what it's been like. Is this your first full season at the Castle or was it yet last year? Uh, last year was my first full season, yeah. And uh, it, it's been cool, man. I mean, to be able to, A, cover an NFL team and uh, to cover a, a franchise as prestigious as the Ravens with, you know, as big-name guys like Lamar Jackson on the team. I mean, it, it's definitely huge. Um, and I'm understanding – the nuances of, of being a, a beat reporter and I'm understanding how some of these guys operate like coach Harbaugh and what questions to ask, when to ask some questions, what he's going to answer, what he's not going to answer and stuff like that. It's a nice, it's a nice little chess game uh, between, uh, between those guys in the media, but I, I, I have fun doing it for sure. There are certainly guys who've been in the media for a lot of years and still don't know that injury questions are somewhat unwelcome. Yeah. That we, yeah. <laughs> we have heard only some of that. So many. You only get with so many. And yeah. we are in that time period of the year where the injury questions are being nixed and we're being sent to the injury report. Never yeah. fails. Yeah. Well, actually, I'd rather it was just uh, uh, every com- his only comment was no comment, as we say in the business world. Uh, you know, you, 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 that's what you really want, because it's it's the it's the only way you don't give away information when you do say something, even on the positive side. So, right. uh, anyway, we <laughs> I, I'd rather it kind of was that. And, but I'd also rather that coaches and coordinators were more open to true football questions and didn't immediately pivot to generalizations. That's my yeah. other complaint about the podium. I totally agree because I would love to have some of these same type of converse back and forth that we we're having now. I would love to have that with them, but some of that, I think they feel like, I mean, Harbs has even said this a couple of times during his Monday press conferences to some of the questions we've asked him, some, some specific X and O's types of questions that, oh yeah, I would probably need to have, you know, the, the video up behind me so I could show you guys. I mean, and that would be cool. I would love mm-hmm. to have a film breakdown uh, with John Harbaugh and Todd Monk and Mike McDonald and those guys. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think a lot of people would love to hear some of the their true thoughts and feelings and behind some of the, the football decisions and game plan decisions that they make. But look, I understand it. They, they don't want to tip their hand and give anybody the competitive edge uh, and the Ravens care a lot about, oh, yeah. not, uh, you know, giving up the competitive edge. So uh, I totally understand that. But that I, I do think that that would make for better press conferences. Oh, it would, it would make for terrific information. The one thing I have seen work with Harbaugh, and it's he's a very interesting character at the podium. But the one thing I've seen work with Harbaugh is asking him questions about the other team's X's and O's. 
And then you, first of all, you get a real sense of just how educated a football man John Harbaugh is because he talks in a lot of generalizations. He talks more like a motivator than a schemer. Um, he talks more about, obviously, gets asked more questions about injuries and the current state of the Ravens and this and that. And you don't get really into a lot of the X's and O's. And, you know, you're, you're left with the question of how much is he leaving this to his coordinators? Does he know enough about the defense to override McDonald in, in some cases? Does he know enough about the offense to say, look, I'm substituting my judgment for yours right now? And there's only been a couple times in, in history, one of them being the 2012 AFC Championship game, where I've actually heard evidence come over a microphone that he was overriding somebody's judgment. That's and, and I don't know how often it happens. I mean, I think it's been a couple of times, especially you can go back to last year to where it's like, why wasn't that? Uh, why didn't you use your override on, on mm-hmm. this certain call? And he was flat out asked about a week ago, I want to say, um, what's his role in the game planning? You know, wh- how involved is he when it comes to game scripts and all of that stuff? And he gave a more of a coach speak type of answer he didn't say how much he's involved in of course he said he's involved in you know in everything he lets but he did acknowledge that he lets those guys do their job um and i i kind of think it's more along kind of what you're saying i think he obviously is kept abreast of what the coordinators are planning to do what their game plan is he's a part of those meetings but I think he's kind of just letting those guys do their thing. He has a certain philosophy and a certain way that he feels like the game should be played and the type of identity he wants his team to have. And he leaves it up to his coordinators to go execute that. But I don't think Harbs is the guy that is continuously jumping on the mic, nixing play calls and and changing things up. He probably should do it a little more than he has, but that just doesn't seem to be his thing. Yeah, I, I, in in fact, given the amount of time, it's almost impossible to nix a play call, but he could right. be strongly right. suggesting, hey, we need to get three downs down to two minutes here. Make sure that happens with your play calls. Kind right. of thing. Yeah. All right. Well, second half of the show, we, we always do our back and forth on individual players and performances we want to highlight. So, Cordell, please take us through your uh, your first guy you want to talk about. Yeah, uh, look, I, I look at the game yesterday and I think that there were a couple of guys to really look out for. But I, I got to start with Arthur Millette. Arthur Millette was a guy um, that I'm not I don't think he was the best player on the field for the Ravens yesterday by any means. But it's just been a growing uh, infatuation that I've had, I guess, with him <laughs> at that nickel spot over the last couple of weeks, because this is a dude that I didn't anticipate making the roster coming out of uh, camp. He was hurt a lot during camp, didn't really show a lot when he was there. And I think the injury situation coming into the season at the cornerback spot kind of forced their hand. But even you, if you remember, he was a couple, a couple of games, he was a a healthy scratch, you know? So I didn't know what his role would be on this team. And ever since they have put him into that nickel spot, he has pretty much stabilized that position for them. He's not an overly big guy, but he's not a super small guy either. He's not like our Darius Washington small, but he's also not Kyle Hamilton big in the nickel. Um, he, He plays aggressive. He's a very good blitzer, as we've already been able to see, but he's actually really good in coverage as well. He hasn't been beaten too much out of that nickel spot, um, he's not like he's making game changing plays or anything there, but he's doing his job. And I, and I just thought that was an example of that in the Cardinals game. And I got to admit, I, I held my breath when I saw him go down in the game because I, you know, that's an injury to a spot, especially that nickel position. Mm-hmm. I don't think they can afford to have, 
right now with Marcus Williams already hurt in the safety spot. Cal Hamilton can't be at two places at once. So uh, I was I was definitely concerned, but it was good to see Millette go back in the game. And I think he's been huge for this defense this year. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I thought the same thing. I thought he was the the, the 54th man on a 53-man roster. Uh, and I, I didn't have him in my expected guys to make the team originally. Uh, Ardarius Washington really had stepped forward and demanded the job in, in, in camp and preseason. He earned it. Mallette hadn't played at that point. But Mallette got on the field and was like, wow, this is a really pleasant surprise. He's done a lot of things well. Uh, hasn't been a perfect tackler, but he, but he's otherwise, I think, been a very good downhill player. And uh, I think he's been a, a, a big plus for the Ravens. And boy, I mean, they basically have looked at four guys this year who didn't figure to be starting in the NFL at corner. Stevens, who's yeah. been terrific. Um, I think Darby and Yasin as a pairing have been terrific in terms of of, of what they've accomplished. And then Mallette has also been very good in that nickel spot. And, and obviously, Ardarius Washington and Hamilton putting together have, have added a lot. But those four guys specifically, do, do you didn't figure to start. I mean, they've gone, they batted a thousand. They've gone four for four on those guys, which is just uh, incredible. Yeah, they have a certain, you know, the, the Ravens have a type. They have a type when it comes to these defensive guys, um, especially in the secondary. They And it's not always about size and measurables. It's more so about play style. They like guys, like you said, about Millette that can play downhill, that can play physical, especially at the point of contact. Um, and that's what they're getting from these guys. And Yassin and Darby, a lot hasn't been asked of them as of late. But when they were are out there, when they do get opportunities to get out there, they're not liabilities. Mm-hmm. They they haven't been liabilities to this point. And I think Steve, and I mentioned Stevens earlier. I think he's made a huge stride this year as well. Yeah, I mean, if Darby and Yassin actually have been better statistically than Stevens in terms of yards per target. Um, but and that's really saying something because Steven's having a great year, but uh, but he's also the most targeted guy. Yeah. By the way, I wouldn't take that as a big negative on this Ravens team that otherwise has a lot of really strong coverage guys. I mean, Mallette is in part covered by the inside linebackers. Queen is no longer the coverage liability he used to be where he's getting a ton of the targets. Um, I, I look at this kind of like back when C.J. Mosley was with the team in his final years here in 17 and 18. He took a lot of heat as being not a particularly good coverage player, and he did get targeted a lot. But the truth of the matter was, is because the Ravens at cornerback, you know, had had all these terrific players coming through. They had good safeties. You had to find somebody to throw at, and and Mosley ended up being a guy who was on the field. and And then we saw what happened in the last play of 2018 that mattered, uh, where he he picked off the ball to win the Ravens a division. So, uh, you know, obviously a lot of that I think was was really overstated. Yeah, I, and I, I honestly think linebackers being critiqued on coverage is sometimes overblown. It's not, but so many coverage, true coverage linebackers in the NFL. And the ones that are good, they're elite. They're elite at that level. So, I mean, yeah, you, you'd like you you'd like your linebackers to cover, and Patrick Queen has gotten better at that. I think C.J. Mosley over time had gotten better oh, yeah. at it as well. Um, but I, I just always kind of cringe at that because I feel like linebackers get critiqued a little too harshly when it comes to coverage. I mean, especially when you look at some of these choice routes that these running backs are running out of the backfield. Slot receivers are used now more than ever. Same for tight ends. It's tough to guard these guys in this league these days. Yeah, 
It really is. You usually have to move from one spot to the other in that short zone. And you have a lot of responsibilities with regard to looking after a rolling quarterback, too, that you got to break the pocket. Exactly. You got to, as soon as he breaks, you got to rush. Yeah. I'm going to move on to another player here who's who's less of a deep cut than Arthur Mollett and, and, and really praise the game that Geno Stone had. And there's, there's a couple of plays. Obviously, the interception, a special play and a different play for Stone because he was up actually close to the line of scrimmage and playing a shallow zone responsibility where he picked up McBride uh, very quickly crossing from the other side of the field, uh, stuck with him, and then moved underneath him. I think perhaps as he was seeing that play develop behind him, part, partly as he saw the ball came out of Dobbs' hand with nothing on it, um, to go ahead and, and undercut Stevens and McBride for the interception uh, on that left sideline. Great, great play on that. But I want to pick up on one other play that I think maybe goes a little less noticed. Um, okay, on just Q4-232, if you want to look this game up by timestamp. But he was deep middle in what appeared to be a cover three look that the Ravens were setting up. Brandon Stevens is on the offensive left side, so he's at his normal right cornerback position. And he follows uh, the crossing route of the receiver from that side. I don't remember who that was, but I think the ball went to McBride for a 21-yard play. It was 16 plus 5. McBride actually is out there in an area where Stevens should be covering. And instead, Stone comes over, and you'd almost thought it was his area to cover, and he was just playing a little soft because he came up. McBride is a big man. Stone, who's had some missed tackle problems, took him down in one shot and then ends up being only 21 instead of a touchdown there. Yeah, I mean, Stone has been outstanding. He's he's been outstanding. I mean, I think what's making this defense go as good as it has so far this year, one of the reasons, I'm not going to say it's all Geno Stone, but one of the reasons is the fact that Geno isn't just a placeholder this year. You know, Mm -hmm. last year when he came in for Marcus Williams, it was kind of, go out there and do your job and, you know, just be a stabilizing piece for them on the back end this year. He is a contributing player. He's a difference maker on that defense. And this is a defense that, I mean, you it's part of the Ravens culture. They pride themselves on forcing turn, turnovers. And that's mm-hmm. what Geno Stone is providing for this defense there. He's given them a playmaker on the back end that can take the ball away. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And that that's what Gina Stone's season has been all about. By the way, the Ravens have eight interceptions on the year. At the NFL level, and it's actually different in college as they account for the statistics, but at the NFL level, interceptions are a subset of passes defensed. So every interception is a pass defense. Um, Gino Stone has five passes defense this year. All five have been interceptions. The rest of the Ravens as a team have 40 passes defense and three interceptions. Just unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and they're actually, I mean, Stone, one question would be, can he continue to maintain an interception level like this? And we already know he probably can't, but but given um, the relatively low level of passes defense, now he gets high quality opportunities and that's why he's, he's getting interceptions. But the other part of it is that I think the Ravens have a long way to go in terms of collecting additional interceptions from other players because they're not really converting a high percentage of their opportunities. No, it's not really happening anywhere else. I mean, Stevens gets the pick yesterday, but outside of that, it's not like, you know, they have anybody else that's really been a take a, a, a takeaway machine on their defense. They've been really good at getting off the field. They're forcing punch situations and stuff like that. But in terms of forcing takeaways, yeah, it hasn't really been a lot of anybody else uh, stepping in in that regard. And uh, I, I still think 
just in terms of Gino, what he's doing is spectacular. Like you said, I don't think he'll be able to keep it up. Um, but he doesn't have to get an interception every game. That's 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 not necessarily what they are dependent on. I think this defense just does a good job in general of not allowing offenses to obviously a get in the end zone, but so often. But when you're in the NFL, if you can limit the big plays, I think you always give yourself a chance, and that's what this defense has done. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I, I don't mean to be, you know belabor the points about Geno Stone, but he's getting noticed by opposing teams now. They're oh, having a game cool. plan against him after the, these these interceptions, and that's gonna gonna cast an Ed Reed esque shadow over cover two looks that the Ravens have, and in particular when you have a guy on the other side who they're fearful of as well. And I think Hamilton, you know, has good range. Uh, much better than his speed in terms of his range. Same thing with Stone, by the way, outstanding instincts. And Marcus Williams, if he ever gets back to a, a reasonable shadow of himself, is a better ball hawk than either of them, yep. as great as Stone has been this year. Yeah, I totally agree. Marcus Williams, he if he gets back to that level, and that's uh, meaning if he can get back to using both of his arms and you know his, his hamstring is, is back to okay, you never know with those hamstrings. But, yeah, that'll give them a third option back there. And I think that big nickel, them going to that big nickel at this point of the year compared to how they were operating at the start of the year in the big nickel, oh, my goodness. I I, I really think it'll be crazy with the confidence that Geno Stone is playing with right now. Yeah. All right, um, your turn. Yeah, I'll I'll go with uh, Justin Matabike. Matabike is, I mean, in a pivotal year for him uh, right now. I mean, he is playing lights out. Uh, three quarterback hits yesterday, including the sack. Uh, he's just he's giving it to him, not just in as a pass rusher, but he's still showing up in the run game as well. I love his flexibility uh, along the defensive line. You could play him inside and out. And I feel like for years, everybody has been looking at Justin Matabike and like, okay, he has kind of like this Aaron Donald type of build. You know, he works out with Donald and he's he's a bigger guy, but he's kind of compact. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he has nice agility. He's got the quickness. He can convert speed to power. Um, it, it's just been, when is it all going to come together for him? And as we see it happen so often in professional sports is usually the contract year where you're seeing guys take their game to the next level. And that's, what's happening with Matt Abike right now. I, I, I talked about Geno Stone playing with a ton of confidence. It's clear Matt Abike's playing with a ton of confidence. He'd have two sacks if it wasn't for one of them being called back earlier. Uh, I think that was the Kyle Hamilton illegal contact play uh, on the first drive of the game. But Matt Abike has just been playing with such a high motor. And I think Michael Pierce, having those veterans like him there, is kind of helping rub off on him. We saw last year with Calais. Matt Abike and Calais both have the five and a half sacks. Matt Abike's already surpassed that this season with what six and a half right now um but i i just think him playing with guys like michael pierce next to him who's playing at a high level i think broderick washington who may not be playing maybe as good as he was last year but i still think Brody is having a a, a pretty good year to this point um is he's playing with a nice unit and with those guys on the edge Clowney and van noy Clowney has been so disruptive all year Quiet game from him and Van Noy for the most part yesterday, but I just think that they are doing enough to force the quarterback to get off his spot. And Matabike is winning his one-on-one opportunities when he gets them. He's he's been impossible to block pretty much in, on a one-on-one situation so far this year. Yeah, it's it's a great point about uh, about Van Noy and Clowney. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna sit on here for a second because 
those guys have created a lot of first instance pressures and they haven't always taken the quarterback down. The whole Mr. Almost thing is a little bit overdone, but um, Clowney has moved the quarterback off his spot a lot this year. And Van Noy has shown a bodacious spin move to go with some other, you know, good compound moves. He he can, he can put good second moves. He can, he can put on an offensive tackle. Uh, He stunted well, and, and he has a good sense of timing on stunts as well to, to, um, you know, line line his timing up with when that hole develops, get through and be very disruptive in the quarterback's face. Um, I, I, what those guys have done has been a lot of the basis for the Ravens' compound sacks because most of what they're doing are not any kind of fast pressure, fast sacks. They get six fast sa- sacks off slot corner. Okay, so that is a substantial portion of their total sacks, about 20%. Uh, basically, all the rest of their sacks – they really haven't been that. I mean, two or three of the rest of the sacks at any position have been really fast sacks from an individual. They've developed, they've, they've generated a lot of them by the underneath guy on stunts. They've had some good looping stunts to get pressures, but they've moved the quarterback off the spot and they've had high motor guys like Matt Abike be great finishers. So one of the issues with Matt Abike that Jonas Schaefer pointed out last week, it's a really good point. It's, it's always bothers me when somebody else picks this up on this before I do. Um, <laughs> but but he, he, he picked up that, that um, Matt Abike's pressure number was fairly low for his number of sacks. And so a lot of that, I think, has to do with the compound pressures they're getting and the fact that somebody else is, is getting the pressure and he's finishing it. So the Ravens are a good defense for him to convert a higher percentage it's not only of his pressures of yeah yeah I guess it is of his pressures of all his pressure events into sacks um, because he could be a good closer whereas with another team he might have to do some of that on his own and both generate the pressure and get the sacks so anyway I thought it was a great point about Matt Abike and of of all the players you know he leads he leads all defensive linemen by now a full sack over Chris Jones in terms of uh, IDL sacks this year. Yeah, and I think that is a good point that Jonas has made. I don't know if you can say, go get, you know, send Matt and BK out there and just say, go get the quarterback. I, I do think it is a part of what's going on around him. Uh, these guys forcing the uh, quarterback to get off his spot, like you said. And I mean, look, he's staying in his lanes. He's winning his battles up front, and it's allowing him to be in a position to get those cleanups. You used it. You used a perfect word. He's been a really good finisher for them. He's once he gets his hands on guys, it's not many broken tackles uh, from Adam BK. He's just playing so strong right now. And I I, I just think he's playing a, a really high level. Just a muscle from top to bottom. Uh, let me go on to the next player. we got to talk about Michael Pierce here. Oh, Great yeah. game. Um, I, for my money, it was probably the single greatest game ever played by a Ravens nose tackle. And that's some high praise because the Ravens have had some – yeah, Great freaking players. You go back to Sam Adams or Syracusa or even Kelly Gregg, Haloti Nada, who not really a nose, but certainly played some there during his career. Nada had some amazing games, so he probably that probably wouldn't hand up uh stand up to the to the Michael Pierce thing. But Brandon Williams as well had some great games. This was just unbelievable. I've a dominant force at nose tackle. We have rarely seen both the left guard and the center, Froholt. Um, and who is the left guard? Daly, yeah, Daly was the one who's in there after Cologne got injured. Um, none of those guys could handle him one on one, and even when they tried to double team him, they generally weren't able to do it. Um, just outrageous. Stopped two fourth and one plays personally in a single football game. Added a twenty-two yard sack. You know, 
He he didn't get credit for the tackle, but he blew up the run for minus five by pushing his guy three yards into the backfield that ended up getting cleaned up by Molette, right? Yeah. So a, incredible performance and and just one of the all times again. I won't go through every play. If you if you want that, go out to my article and, and and take a look there. But I've got all the notes we took on him, both good and bad, we we've got in the article. Yeah, Michael Pierce had himself an outstanding day. Um I I just think A, he's so so strong. I mean, he, he's, he's just so strong. And you look at his size and you don't understand, A, how quick he can be. And I think you saw his closing speed, especially on a couple of those sacks. I mean, this is a dude that can definitely get uh, get to you and bring you down. But his, his motor is so high. I think he has better stamina than what we probably give him credit for. Because like we talked about earlier, he has had a high snap, snap count and uh, plenty of games so far this year. And I'm, I'm not endorsing that. I think his snap count should come down. Um, and I think it will as the season goes on, but I, I do think yesterday you got to see the total package of what Michael Pierce can bring when he's healthy. And, and for as many health co- concerns as he has on him, he should be pretty fresh. If you think about how, how little football, Michael Pierce has played over the last couple of years. He should be pretty fresh for them right now. You're, you're now you're talking about like career tread wear right, in terms right. of, of could could he play another year or two? Right. Which by the way should really interest the Baltimore Ravens right now. And if you're looking at players you might be able to extend before the end of the season, I think it would make a lot of sense to get Michael Pierce locked up because the only guys you have are Travis Jones and Braddock Washington next year. Urban is not signed, although he probably will be back. Would be yeah. my guess. And, uh, of course, Matabike will be gone for very, very, very green pastures in terms of generational wealth. Yeah, I, I think Matabike is going to get paid um, kind of the Ben Power situation all over again. He looks like he's outpricing himself the same could possibly mm-hmm. be said for Patrick Queen as well. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I just I just think that right now Matabike is playing at a high level, which which is expected. But Pierce. Uh, it was it was good to see Pierce get look the way he did yesterday because obviously I'm sure last year was tough for him um, not being able to really get out on the field as much as he wanted to due to the injury. So for him to be healthy right now and they're using him as a key piece to this defense in both the run game and the pass game that that was big time from him yesterday, mm-hmm. big time. Yeah, they they really have to limit the number of snaps where Pierce and Matabike are on the field together. But if you look at their snaps and that's what we chart. Um, they're on the field almost exactly the same snaps. They they really want to use those two to leverage each other uh, for both pass and run concepts, honestly. But uh, but you really don't want to have you want to have your best nose tackle on the field when you have Metabike for run for run plays, but you also want to have uh, the two of them on for passing plays together. And you know I just I don't know how easily unless they pick up another edge rusher who can kick inside, they're going to reduce the number of snaps for Pierce because they need him pretty much the way they needed McPhee on every play a few years ago, even though the guy was, you know, he, he'd, he'd been struggling to play 20 snaps a game. All of a sudden the Ravens are using 45 snaps a game because he's their best at everything, yeah. you know, rushing the passer or setting the edge. Yeah. All right. So I brought up Pierce. It's your turn. Oh yeah, it is on me. Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Marlon Humphrey. So with Marlon, um. I'm up and down on a little bit right now. I, I I like what he's giving them. Obviously, he helps stabilize that secondary. He he makes it uh, so that Brandon Stevens is getting as targeted as he is right now. Marlon's not seeing a lot of opportunities these days. Um, 
but I, I and I still like Marlon. I think he's an aggressive player. I think especially as a press man corner, or maybe still one of the better corners in the league, in my opinion, at that. I don't know how I I, I don't think zone is death is necessarily his strong suit. And and I don't think that's a secret. Um, but it just really watching him, he just he just seems to kind of not have a a good feel of what's going on in his area at times. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm up and down on Marlon. I, I think he's still a good player. I don't know if he's, I don't, I don't know if I think as highly of Marlon, the player as I did maybe a couple of years ago, um, which is natural in this league. Um, but I, I'm just, I'm in the gray area with Marlon right now, if that makes sense. I just don't know how to feel about him. I still think he's a really good player. I just also see times where it looks like his play is kind of diminishing a little bit. I mean, I I think we may be still be seeing the lingering uh, effects of that foot injury playing very, out. Very and, and so, uh, You know, I, I'm I'm giving him a hall pass on that one at least for, for the time being because he's been so great for the Ravens. For- Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So many years. All right. But if, if uh, you know, he had one target yesterday, but that also leaves out the pass interference call in the end zone. Uh-huh. I thought a pretty ticky-tack call, honestly, um, in terms of there wasn't a lot of contact there. I thought he had the right to the football when he was making contact. Um, so I, I, I didn't like the call. That said, that that group of officials seemed to be pretty damn flag happy the whole game on calls <laughs> in the secondary. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that was, uh, I think, the second one on that drive, and they were both on the secondary yeah. on that drive. So, yeah, I mean, and I agree. I, I was kind of indifferent on a call. I wouldn't have minded it if they had let it go. It's, I mean, it didn't really look like he had a, an opportunity to really catch that ball anyway. Um, but also, I, I can kind of see it. I, I just don't know where they draw the line on the hand fighting because we see receivers hand fighting just as much as 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 DBs are. Honestly, not to not to be the snitch here, but Odell gets away with it himself. Oh, yeah. I mean, he got away with it on one play where he's the one pulling the defender, yep. and they call it they call <laughs> defensive holding on the DB. And so, I all every time I see Odell pull stunts like that, I always think back to him saying, you know, there are things that he'll do to other DBs that he won't do uh, to Marlon and the DBs on the Ravens. So uh, I I always get a chuckle out of that quote. But yeah, I mean, he's a veteran savvy wide receiver. It just seems like the league is okay with wide receivers initiating contact and doing all those things. But as soon as a DB gets physical, here comes the laundry. 
He, yeah, that's very true. And, and defensive linemen with roughing the passer has gotten way out of hand as oh, well. Michael Pierce. Yeah. The, the, uh, the Odell thinks th- at least three times this year, he's, he's drawn a penalty through what I'll consider just anti-hero means. One, one was uh, the, the one you mentioned where he had the, he had the, basically the pull down on top of him in the end zone of the defensive back. That was hilariously bad. He, he, in the first game, he drew two DPIs, one of them legitimate. And the other one was he created a cutoff where he was nowhere near the football and the, and the defensive back did it. And then the third one, and this is really anti-hero stuff. He stepped on, on um, Jeffrey Simmons hand and, and Simmons got up, pushed him down and he gets flagged for 15 yards. Yeah. Yeah. That one was in retaliation. It's always the guy. It's always the guy that yeah. reacts, right? It's always the second guy. He was very slick uh, yeah. with how he did that too. Yeah, he was. He was. He was ready to flop too. As soon as he knew yeah. he was going to get shoved, and oh yeah. my god, I'm yeah. <laughs> now, okay, here's going back to Marlon Humphrey for a second. Here's my big question for you. Let's say Marlon's play continues at the same level, which hasn't been bad, but but he's right. been penalized four times, 122 or so quarterback rating against, even though they're not targeting him. So it's a good thing they're not targeting him right now, yeah. by the way. But here's here's the here's the question I want to ask. Do you think it's possible, particularly if injuries demanded it? And let's say, for instance, that Marcus Williams is lost for the rest of the season at some point this year, because I don't think we can rule that out with the pec being situation being what it is, or even with the hamstring being a possibility. And they're all of a sudden out of safeties effectively. So they have the, the big two, but they don't have another one. Do you think it's possible that Marlon Humphrey could move to effectively strong safety or split field safety, play that role? Because I I personally believe the fact that he's a great man corner and pushes people out to the boundary is something he he could suppress and become a ball playing back end DB. Certainly has a downhill tackling characteristics for it. Definitely can tackle. I mean, that yeah. he definitely has the tackling ability to play safety. I don't know if we'll see him necessarily do that. Um, maybe I, I could see if they decided to go kind of back to that big nickel formation, maybe he could be the, the third guy that's in the slot kind of, but why when you could do, you can have Hamilton or something there. I mean, mm-hmm. And they love Marlon in the slot. Marlon has been really good in the slot throughout his career. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not like they're really losing anything there. I think that they probably give Worley a look before they go that route, because I I just think that's, that'd be a dramatic change for them. Not that I don't think it could work. I think it could work. And I think it probably would be great for Marlon uh, for sure. Who struggles to find the ball when it's in the air at times, especially when he's going up against bigger receivers. If he's at safety and he's able to look at the quarterback the entire time, yep. allows him to make a, a easier play on the ball. Um, but I think for them, they may look at it as they're taking maybe their most physical corner off the line of scrimmage. And I, I still think he's their best press man co- corner on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would lose that element, which which would end up being big. I mean, it's a give and take no matter what you decide to do. Uh, but I, I just because I haven't seen them at any point have him as safety, I'd probably have to say I doubt they do it. So two points characteristic-wise, which leads me to believe that it should be or could be a possibility for this season. Because I think you're actually paying Marlon – too much money to put him at safety when if if you can get value out of him at corner. But the problem is the foot is obviously bothering him. So right. the question is, could could he be more effective at a deep safety 
have Hamilton move up in the box so he facilitates that. And you're right, Worley, I want to hear what his status is in just a second from you. But two things about Marlon Humphrey. First of all, some of his best plays, and when he's more likely to intercept the ball, seems like when the ball is intended to a target other than his guy. And that's kind of natural because the ball is headed somewhere else. He's playing more like a safety in that in that situation, right. trying to move off the ball. The second is the Ravens defense as currently constituted does not give Marlon the same number of opportunities to play the boundary as effectively as he has. I know that's kind of strange given that he gave up that touchdown to Pickens, which is basically a boundary play. Uh-huh. But the, when you play two safeties over the top, there aren't a lot of long shots down the sideline where Marlon Huntry can direct you out of bounds with his physicality the way he's very good at doing. Uh, Stevens has that ability, by the way, on the other side, too. And a lot of that, the responsibilities are shrunk by a, by a 2D shell over top of you that there aren't a lot of long sideline passes. They're very dangerous, so quarterbacks generally avoid them. So anyway, I, I'm, I'm, I, I think if you're going to make the most out of Marlin, and more importantly, maybe if you're going to make the most out of Hamilton this year, if you could find another way to address the safety position, even if it's just for a game or two, with Marlin back there and Hamilton up front, I think it'd be kind of a novel solution to the current problem that they have. Yeah, and it I don't and I believe it could work, especially considering they've got guys like Darby and Rocky Sin kind of waiting in the wings that have played well when they put them out there. You can trust them to go back out there and, and you've got guys like Marlon at the assuming he'd be at safety, Marlon, Geno Stone, two guys that can go and get the ball. Uh, especially Gino, who leads the league in interceptions right now. And you got that physical presence in Kyle Hamilton back in that nickel spot playing in the box. You can still use him as a blitzer uh, from the nickel spot as well. A lot of flexibility. I, I'm always for veteran corners making that transition mm-hmm. to safety. I, I've, I've always been for that. Um, I don't, this Ravens team has shown us that nothing is out of the realm of possibility, that they will go outside the box and try new things. Um, I, I just haven't seen it to this point. And like I said, I, I think if they, if we were to get to that point, it would have to be after they saw what Daryl Worley could give them. Okay. So you, this is the other question I wanted to ask you is being around the building. Uh, do you get a sense of how close Worley is at this point? Not necessarily. And we haven't heard a lot about Daryl Worley recently, which could be a little concerning. Even today, Harbs is mentioning a couple of guys that are kind of working their way back. And Daryl Worley wasn't one of the names that mm-hmm. we heard. We heard Pepe Williams, you know, even brought Tyus Bowser's name back up. But uh, uh, Daryl Worley just wasn't a name that that we heard. And he is a guy that I do like in this system. I mean, he said he told us this offseason that they were put, he was practicing more safety than corner. Uh, this year and he looked pretty good at safety for them a nice size at safety he has good ball skills himself physical uh player i just don't know how close he is um right now and how legitimate of an option he'll be for them um and so i think it would probably be some of these guys like houston carson or somebody else that will probably end up getting the nod uh before him because he hasn't he he hasn't shown any signs to being back on the field. I haven't seen him on the side field, so that kind of is kind of the telltale sign to me to to guys that are kind of working their way back. Haven't seen him out there, so I, it, at least to me, it seems like he's a little ways away. Okay, so so you're saying DHC primarily for health reasons, though. If if both right. of them were ready and available, it'd be Worley over DHC. I assume for sure, for sure. Okay, 
All right. Just didn't know exactly where he was. Thought you might have seen him around the building, you know, be able to tell us something about what's uh, what's going on without giving away what you're not supposed to give away. Right. <laughs> <laughs> which is all which which isn't much, yeah. which never is much. <laughs> OK, so. I forget whose turn it is. Maybe we do one I more here. Sure. I, I, gave, right. uh, I think I went to him. I went to Marlin. I went to Marlin. Okay. I think we got to talk about Brandon Stevens, uh, j- just to be fair here. Uh, playing some terrific football. We mentioned the first episode that he had a pretty bad blown coverage on. Actually, I think we mentioned it this time, too, on the, on the Stone play. But other than that, I thought he was outstanding. One thing we're noticing is Stevens right in the hip pocket, usually in phase with that receiver um, heading down the field. And that is influencing a lot of overthrows from the quarterback. You see that defensive back close. Your first thing is, I don't want to throw an interception. I don't want to throw an interception. I don't want to throw an interception. And that, that ball often sails right over the head of the, the receiver and out of bounds. You know, it's my guy or no guy at that point. Right. You're, you're usually happy with no guy. It's funny. I, saw, I, I heard Gruden was doing one of the Monday night games a few years ago. And the Browns might have been down for, by two touchdowns at the time. Uh, or they might have only been down. Yeah, it might have been down at two touchdowns. So it wouldn't have to been. They need a score and they need to get an onside kick here to to get back in the game against the Ravens. And I think it was Colt McCoy was at quarterback for the Browns at that point. And he had two consecutive balls where he threw it deep, but the ball was about five yards out of bounds both times. And the second time, Gruden just got really upset. You go, one thing's true. You know, I know interceptions are important, but the ball's got to land in the field of play here. <laughs> <laughs> at some point. <laughs> and it's, it is, you could tell, you know, quarterbacks do not want to be put in a position where it's a high risk of an interception. And uh, you see that a lot at the end of football games. They, they just won't put the ball up deep. They go over these short intermediate guys and the defense is happy to get it. Yeah, I mean, it's, they force you to have to tackle in space. And nowadays, these wide receivers are as shifty as anybody. And people able to kind of break a tackle here and then turn it into uh, a, a big play. So I understand it. And at that point, you know, especially late in the game, if you're trailing and, and, and you're trying to get in the end zone, a turnover is probably the game at, mm-hmm. at that point. But I, I'm i always for trying to get – I don't like watching games where I'm seeing quarterbacks throw the ball down the field and the ball sails 20 yards out of bounds. You got to give your guy a chance. I understand you don't want to turn the ball over, um, but you got to at least – give your your receiver an opportunity to try to make a play down there. But um, to, to uh, Stevens, you know, uh, I, I just, I just like what Stevens is doing. He's playing physical. He's playing confident. Um, he is a guy right now that I think for the most part, his coverage has been there. His coverage has been there. The ball skills have been the one thing for me that he, that I've been wanting Tim to really work on being able to find the ball in the air and it just seems like he plays a little tight at times mm-hmm. um to where he's too afraid to go against what's coached or to go against um you know what's schemed up like don't be afraid to make a play at times i mean it's great that you're making the tackle but you give up a 30 yard pass it's, it's still 30 yards you know so um uh, he he's starting to understand what he's capable of doing and especially considering this is a guy that used to be an offensive player. Like I would mm-hmm. like to see some of those ball skills uh, when at the, at the point of contact where he can go and high point the ball. So um, I, I've been, I've, I've really been impressed with his growth from his time from since the Ravens have drafted him. 
to where they kind of threw him out there. I feel like what in that game against the Raiders uh, to start the year, he's out there at safety and he's playing some corner and he, he's all over the place. And it does look like he's found a home at corner. Yeah, I, I don't think he'll be moving from outside corner again. Obviously, he filled in at at uh, strong safety after the injury and the ejection to, yeah. to Hamilton in that game. I, I did want to make one more one more um, point about positioning with Stevens. So on the on the interception he had, that was an overthrow for Wilson, Wilson McBride. It was Wilson, um, it was, yeah. where where, where uh, he actually got rubbed off of the Wilson route. And actually, had you know, go, gone around, uh, uh, you know, another player, and I don't remember if it was a defender or, a, or an offensive player, but he he had to go around them, and all of a sudden he found himself five yards deep in what in what I would term a, a loose bracket for a safety, where you're really playing for the overthrow, and sure enough, it happened, and he went and got that overthrow. I mean, that was not an easy pick. He went out and and uh, and and made a made a fine play on the on the field to get that. So hopefully, you're seeing a little bit of that receiving skills in that play. The other interception that wasn't where he had underneath positioning is another case of um, he had the time on that play. And we've seen a few times this year where he's gotten more capable to to look back into the backfield, see what's happening and time that up with what he's doing with the receiver. In that case, undercut the route, um, was in position for the interception. He also should know, just like a receiver should know, he's got to come back for that football if he wants it. And so yeah. the fact that Gino took away from him is is probably a hard one life lesson for him. Yeah, that that's exactly that. Just you just because you're not a receiver don't mean you don't you don't have to attack the football. You definitely do. Um, but it was good to see him and Gino in a position to make that play. It helps that the Cardinals had two guys of their own in that vicinity. Um, but yeah, I, I just really have been impressed with the growth of Brandon Stevens, not only just this year, but really from his rookie year to this point. He's been a fine player for the Ravens, and it, uh, he went from being a liability to now one of their strengths of this defense. All right. If you want to do one more player, you can. Otherwise, we'll jump into MVPs. Uh, we could do MVPs. That's cool. All right. Let's do let's do that. Uh, so we usually need to go three, two, one. And cool. why don't you start us off with your number three pick and why you took them? And we don't have to be too long on this because we've probably talked talked about these guys already. Yeah. Uh, number three for me, I, I will end up going. Uh, I'm going to go with. Ha! Huh, I just I, I had it and I'm switching the order in my head on the fly. But number three, I'll go Geno Stone. I'll go Geno Stone at number three. Gets an interception, another interception league leading. Uh, he's just been such a bright spot on the back of that defense, man. And another one in a contract year, maybe his last year with the Ravens, maybe not. We'll see how it goes. But he's definitely playing himself into a big-time payday uh, coming up here. And I, I just talked a lot about Brandon Stevens' growth. And I think Geno Stone, who's, who's had more growth than him, right? I mean, this is a guy that the Ravens have cut, brought back. He's a backup. He's he used as a Band-Aid last year, and then he comes back this year. He's put in the same type of position to fill in for Marcus Williams, their high-priced free agent. But he's playing at such a high level that, like you said earlier, even once Marcus Williams comes back, they can't take Geno Stone off the field. So right. I, I've just been really impressed with him because he is now forcing Mike McDonald's hand to play him all throughout the game. 
It's uh, it's been very exciting. Always great to see a young player improve like this. Hasn't been perfect in terms of tackling, but on the other hand, he made up on Brandon, for Brandon Stevens' big coverage error on yeah. the 21-yard play. So that was a really big play to me. And uh, no problem, really, that he undercuts. Making the most of every single opportunity. He's, the, he's an ideal center fielder who is going to convert a high percentage of his opportunities, particularly in this defense. Kind of like Matt Abike is – a very good fit for this pass rush scheme as a finisher. Stone is an extremely good fit as a, I can take my time and look into the backfield and find the play I want to make. Yeah. All right. My number three guys, Brandon Stevens. I think I just gave some of the reasons already. Great boundary quarterback in position for two interceptions. Each case was a little different. We're seeing things that are different from him in terms of finding the football this year. I really like, um, which are, which are, uh, kind of the icing on the cake, but been playing every snap been targeted a lot and still been very effective this year. And, and uh, I, I think you'd have trouble finding a more improved defensive back in the national football league than Brandon Stevens. Yeah. I'm, uh, for number two, for me, I'm going to stay on the defensive side. I, I've, I've been kind of going back and forth in my head on who to give one and two, uh, two, but I'm gonna go Michael Pierce at, oh, at number two. These are all defensive players. We're supposed oh, to. Oh, these are all this. defensive yeah. players. Okay, well then that that changes things. Then so I'm going to change uh, my number two. I'll go. I'll go with Roquan um, at, at number two. I thought Roquan. It, this wasn't the sexiest game or anything like that. You didn't see him flashing as much as we probably normally do. But I thought Roquan had some big time hits in this game. Some big time tackles. Some nice coverage plays as well and he just he just always is that stabilizer he he's that nucleus of the defense they follow his lead they follow his intensity um and he really brought it in Arizona I thought uh short on a day where a lot of missed tackles were happening Roquan was still one of the more sure tacklers that they had on the field on Sunday and he wasn't exempt from his own uh, missed tackles a couple of times, but I, I just I just love watching Roquan Smith play. He's just such a smart player, and it just seems like he does most of the things right. Yeah, I I, I think you said that extremely well, and and uh, it wasn't the sexiest game in terms of big plays for Roquan, but he's a great downhill player. Um, this wasn't a big game of great run stops for him in terms of having a lot of his tackles be defensive wins. I didn't really check that. Uh, this time, but he had contributions to a lot of tackles. Uh, they just didn't happen to be, I don't believe, a lot of defensive wins this time. I think it was a lot of the seven-yard runs they keep getting on first uh-huh. down. He was getting tackles there. So uh, it's not always doesn't always have to be sexy. Sometimes it's about how how is Roquan preventing an even bigger play right. um, by doing that. Uh, I'll jump on. My, my number two guy, Justin Matabike, uh, obviously having a great year. So many positive things he's doing in terms of uh, pressure, and run plays two could have easily had two sacks in this game, two other quarterback hits, I believe, and uh, uh, generating pressure, standing people up in the run game is just a muscle from top to bottom, and, and great to watch him play football. Yeah, uh, hard to go against that, Matt and BK. I, I, I felt like you were going to throw him out there, so I, I, I let I let Matt and BK get his kudos from you and try to spread it around, give some to somebody else like Roquan. But Matt and BK, I mean. No arguments from me. From me, the dude was a stud in both the run game and the pass game. Just, just such a staple uh, in the middle of this defensive line this year. And he, he has really been that hybrid type of player that I feel like 
great defenses in today's NFL need on that front line. The guy that can win in both the run and the pass, a guy that can play inside and out, the guy that can convert speed into power. So uh, Matabike is just, he's just playing it at a really an all pro level uh, to this point in the season. I'm going to stay in the middle of the defensive line. I tip my hand already, but I'm going to go with Michael Pierce. Uh, they're calling it the Michael Pierce legacy game uh, yesterday against um, the Arizona Cardinals, and how could it not be Michael Pierce? Just a dominant day, dominant drives. I mean, he's just all over the place. You mentioned it. He had four, two fourth and one stops. He's got the sacks. He's getting the pass deflections. He's stuffing the run. He's uh, eating up double teams. I mean, the dude is doing everything that you could ask for at the defensive tackle position, and he's playing a lot of snaps as well. He hasn't broken down to this point in the season. So as long as he's healthy and able to help, they're going to keep throwing him out there, and credit to him for continuing to be a big-time asset and really looking like a steal uh, for this Ravens team and and, and and really being a big part of that that stable that they have in terms of interior defensive linemen. Yeah, love love what he's done so far. I, w- I want to see more from Travis Jones, too, who's played extraordinarily too. well the last two yes, weeks in I particular. Agree. And and uh, uh, Pierce is my number one guy as well. One other thing to say, I just want to relate, because you hit on almost all the high points and we did on some of it earlier, is about this being a Michael Pierce legacy game. If you're an NFL player and you're listening to this podcast, I know there are a couple of you out there. Um, please take the time to get a video copy of a big game like this. If you're Michael Pierce or if you're a friend of Michael Pierce, Brent Urban, if you're out there, tell tell Michael Pierce to get a copy of this football game. He's going to really want to show this to his children or his grandchildren. And it, it could be hard to get that video years down the road. Could have been, go back, maybe go back to the Ravens. You can get it. But uh, it, it, this is something to really have. This is yeah. the greatest game ever, I think, by a Ravens nose tackle. Um, he wants to have it. The, the, the game I, I always encourage everybody to have a copy of if you can, and you can get this one out online because it's out there on YouTube. So if you want to see the four greatest Ravens defenders of all time, Nada, Reed, um, Suggs, and who am I forgetting here? Lewis. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to see those four guys play together, watch the first game of 2011. The Ravens had a 7 to nothing turnover lead in that game. All four of those guys were involved in multiple turnovers. And it's, it's a game that you really want to see. If you want to explain to people what that defense meant with those four players on the field, um, that's the game to have. But for individual players, it's oftentimes these moments pass in a heartbeat and you just don't remember to take it. And, and the football that you take, yeah, that's something you can show a, show a, a, you know, a grandchild, but it's not, it's, it's, it's like, you know, any other normal person like me would want to have home movies right. of, you know, what's going on. This is your home movie. Come on. <laughs> Make sure you have it. To the grandkids, man, when they not believe in the stories, you you got the video proof right there. There you go. And and they might say, well, Grandpa, was this your best game or was this (laughs) – There's there's the other 99 games you played that you wouldn't even show them to your mother, would you? Right, (laughs) right, right. You determine a narrative at that point. They they only know what you tell them. All right. Outstanding stuff. I did have one question I wanted to get to from the mailbag and make sure I address because I said I would do this. The other one we'll do with the offense. But uh, one guy asked me online and he was responding to something I was saying about the um, wanting to avoid big gambles. And he he asked me, um, are you really saying that there are positive expectation plays that the Ravens should give up? 
um, to avoid risk. And, and I'm saying, yes, that's that's exactly the answer. There, there, there are times where, where the, the better team should give up a small positive amount of expectation in terms of win probability to avoid a large range of outcomes in terms of win probability, particularly when you're playing a bad team. Now, I'd say if you're the worst team, you almost always want to take that gamble for right. any pick up any small positive amount. And so I don't begrudge the Cardinals any of the six decisions they made nope. in that in that respect. No, not not at all. I mean, if you're going to beat a team that you obviously know you're outmatched against, you, you gotta you gotta go against the playbook, right? You you gotta create your own avenues. You gotta make something hit, shake because the original formula for the game is the 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 outcome is going to say that the Ravens are going to win because they're the better team. So you've got to throw in some new variables into the equation to get a different result in the end. So, yeah, I, I, I never begrudge inferior teams uh, for going for it on early fourth and short yardage situations or get close to midfield or they're just barely past midfield and it's fourth and three and they want to take a shot. You're going against a team like the Chiefs or something like that. Field goals aren't going to cut it for you. You you got to go and put up points, and especially for this Cardinals team where they don't have a lot of explosiveness on, on offense. Their defense isn't great. They saw what the Ravens did to the Lions last year. So in their mind, especially while the game is still within reach, they're trying to capitalize on as many opportunities as they can. I also, like I said earlier, I don't have an issue with the Ravens not being as aggressive because when you're the team in the position that they were in against the Cardinals, where the Cardinals pretty much have to pay a play a perfect game to beat you, you don't need to open up another door to give them that chance to, to make something happen that probably shouldn't happen. Just make sure the game goes according to the script and, and the results should go in your favor. Sorry about that. That happens once a show. I mute yeah. myself. But that, that was at Lucas Hagar with a question. Thanks very much for asking that, Lucas. Really appreciate you uh, contributing to the mailbag. And Cordell, really appreciate having you on the show. Just a terrific discussion. I wish we had more time to talk football, but we'll do the next best thing. We'll get you back on a show later this year and, and uh, maybe talk about the offense next time. Oh, yeah, that'd be great, man. Looking for some uh, offensive consistency. Maybe we'll have it uh, by the next time that I'm on the show, man. But always a pleasure. Uh, tell folks where they can find your work or, or talk to you online or uh, hear your show. Yeah, you can uh, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Cordell Woodland. Um, you can also catch my show, Shaking It Up Sports, on 105.7 The Fan on weeknights throughout the week. Um, you can also catch my podcast with Rita Hubbard, Win and Drive podcast, uh, wherever you get your podcast from wh- throughout the week. We drop three episodes, two during the week. Also drop a post-game episode after each and every Ravens game. So we have all the Ravens content you want uh, all throughout the year. All right. Outstanding. Great pleasure, Cordell. All the folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. Narrow topic. I'll get right back to you, and we'll talk about how that could make a good episode. Cordell, thanks again for coming on. Appreciate you having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.